0: Saying, I do, is becoming more rare. The marriage rate's been declining steadily in Australia since 1970. But the institution itself doesn't really look like disappearing yet. Culturally, it still looms very large in our communities and in all the media. Marriage has transformed and adapted quite a bit throughout human history, though. What does it really mean to us now? And is it still relevant? And if not, what then? author clementine ford has the entire institution in her crosshairs in her latest book i don't the case against marriage clementine welcome to life matters thank you so much for having me now you have raced in here <laughs> It's uh, been a tricky yeah, time a with the traffic
1: wrist, i've tripped up the stairs I've she was my limping
0: Just <laughs> like okay you, you've crossed the rubicon to get to us <laughs> tell us about your personal history with marriage was there a time when you thought maybe this is for me
1: uh you know what i've never really had marriage as an aspiration i actually grew up with a father mainly who just drummed into me and my sister never rely on a man always make your own money always take care of yourself which isn't so much an anti-marriage message per se but unlike other women of my generation i just never had that kind of assumed well when you grow up and get married when you find a husband and despite the fact that you know my father and i lock Horns quite a lot of things. But he has always been very supportive of um, my feminist views, even if he doesn't agree with all of them. And I think he quite likes the idea of having really strong-minded daughters. And so there was also never any suggestion of, well, if you behave like that, you won't find a husband. Which, you know, to some people listening, they may be like, well, I didn't have that either. But actually a lot of women do. They just grow up in the gaseous, Kind of air of a, of expectation that one day they will grow up and get married. Scott and Charlene on exactly. neighbours. It's like the end point, the ultimate exactly. goal. And that in order to, for that to happen, they have to embody a particular kind of femininity. And again, to people who might be like rolling their eyes at that, I would ask them to consider what it's like that that attitude. Don't don't view uh, don't don't consider how a man views women based on how he acts when they're nice to him consider how he views women based on when they do something he disagrees with. And in my experience, I mean, for example, I, I compiled a 10-slide um, list of promotional posters last week of all of the things that men have said about the book on Twitter, wow. which I'm sure you can imagine are extremely well-informed having read it from cover to cover. Um, and it's as I expected, in fact, as I wrote in the book, well, no wonder she hates marriage. No man wants to marry her. Who would want to marry her? Look at the face on that... All of these kinds of things that assumes that if you're a woman in the world who wants any kind of, uh, you know, independence of her own or wants to go out and have an adventure that's not, as Adrienne Rich said, the great, you know, the great adventure for women is heterosexual romance. If you want to have anything else aside from that, you're sort of an aberration. There's something wrong with you. And the reason you want it must not be because you are actually an independent person with subjectivity but because you were discarded yep no one wanted you we should clarify too like are you talking about
0: de facto relationships are you talking about long term loving partnerships per se or just the legal contract of marriage
1: i think it's all intertwined and as i say in the introduction of the book i'm not against love i'm not i'm not even it's not even an attack on people who got married you know i understand why yeah, it's the systems get and structures yeah. it's the system it's a very deeply embedded PR campaign that's lasted for thousands of years you know I I get it um and de facto relationships in many ways are not dissimilar from marriage in Australia we have the same legal laws The, the one thing that is different is that the dissolution of it doesn't cost quite as much money um and there is there is still a I think a social uh there's a smugness that comes from being married that you don't get from being de facto, and that's kind of packaged all up in the wedding. Which in Australia as well, the average cost of a wedding is thirty-six thousand yeah. dollars, and the average length of a marriage is eight point four years. So, but there's something about like the woman in particular who gets married that confers something more than the woman who's just in the de facto relationship. And well, you know, and a good example of that is the phrase "her big day." Her big day, her one big day that she gets to be the centre of attention unapologetically... And I think that's really important that the wedding is the place where you know might have jokes about bridezilla's and so on and so forth, but a woman on her wedding day is allowed to be self-centered, allowed to be demanding, allowed to be obnoxious, and also to unapologetically ask that the spotlight only be on her.
0: I was actually thought it was fascinating, Clementine, because you, you talk about the power of the proposal and how that has just gone bonkers now that we have social media. People uh, upload their videoed, you know, giant. Proposal. Proposals being parachuted into a field of sunflowers. Yeah. <laughs> I think you say it's hilarious. Um, you know, with, I don't know, meerkats singing tunes, or it's got to be huge. Uh, so there's clearly a really strong cultural pressure uh, to do that and and cultural acceptance. And that smugness comes from, mm. you know, being accepted into the cultural fold. Mm. But you talk too about um, the terrible origin story of marriage, mm-hmm. you know, the horrific uh, bride stealing mm. and things like that and the terrible legal constraints, women as property, children as property. If you leave, you can't see your kids. Mm-hmm. You've got no rights to your body, your money, your inheritance, anything. Can we say that marriage has changed though, given that,
1: you know, we do have those legal rights now? Of course. I mean, I I think that any system changes and evolves and progresses. It doesn't mean that, you know, we have a much more progressive welfare system in Australia now than we used to. It doesn't mean that the welfare system is perfect. I think that we have to be really careful about, um, we can acknowledge, yes, there have been There's been progress in the sense that we don't have the legal doctrine of coverture now that states legally women belong to their husbands. And we also live in a country where you know and this is recent we we finally have the right to prosecute husbands for sexual assault in marriage but the last place the first place in australia to criminalize that was south australia in 1976 and the last place was the northern territory in 1991 this is all extremely recent you know no fault divorce suddenly being accessible in the 1970s again like 50 years old there's women who are alive today who were adult women when that came to pass you know and and I also think that when we look at people and we say oh my god isn't it wonderful John and Vera they've been together for 60 years it's just so amazing you know people just don't try as hard anymore you know people give up so easily and you think well let's put that into context 60 years ago when John and Vera got married it was the 1960s and John was legally allowed to take his conjugal rights and Vera was not allowed to leave she also didn't have a job, probably. She wasn't allowed to ma- to keep working if she worked in the public service after she got married. And she wouldn't be allowed to get a credit card by herself until 1975. So this idea that longevity in marriage, first and foremost, is something to celebrate, I think is wrong because a lot of people stay in unhappy relationships when they want to leave. And the reason a lot of women can't leave in particular is because of the financial constraints. But also, as you said exactly, we have progressed and moved on. So if we've moved on in so in some ways um you know technically it, so for example my son's here today because it's a public holiday today also partly one of the reasons why i raced in the building um, sort of carrying his ipad up the stairs tripped up and banged my knee ripped my jeans um but you know i wasn't married to his dad we do have a, a great co-parenting relationship now uh but he doesn't have either one of our last names once upon a time not that long ago a child like him being born out of wedlock would have been seen by the, the society that we live in is illegitimate. That would have been the name that he was given, but illegitimate. That's, that's different now,
0: isn't it? Like, sure. I'm, it's really it's interesting to me because I was never into marriage. I, I saw it as an outdated and mm. patriarchal construct, and I still do in a lot of ways. But when I met my to-be-long-term mm. to partner, I started to change my mind and thought that it was more like a promise of hope. It was like mm. we can build this thing together and we will bring the people together that we love and tell them that. And, you know, as time went on, I became less attached to the idea he wasn't Mm -hmm. up for it. So that was fine. And later on, we did get married for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And now we're not married anymore. But uh, I guess it's, is it, because you're a marriage abolitionist, you'd Mm -hmm. like to see it disappear. Mm -hmm. Could it be a live and let live situation where we go, look, if you want to get married, fine. It's got a terrible history, um, but there's no harm in it now. Do you still see harm in it now?
1: I do see harm in it in that I think that we haven't progressed far enough on gender relations to imagine a different possibility of excitement and adventure for women in particular. But is that about heterosexual relationships or marriage? it's, because about, it's about the Is it about the formalisation or the thing? Well, okay, so there's a few things in there. And first and foremost, I would say that I absolutely understand why in your relationship with your long-term partner, you got to the point where you're like, I want to bring my family. To, there is something romantic about the idea of standing up in front of your community and saying we are pledging a life together. I think it's a bit dangerous when when there's an assumption that that pledge of a life together should be together forever, you know, that there needs to be more outs. Like people maybe in their marriages need to start saying, we will be together for every single moment of our time. We said for through all the changes in our lives. Yeah, which is great. But the thing is as well, you can have that party without signing the government contract. There's, It's not actually necessary to codify it in law. And even if more people just started doing that... I think I would be happier. And also when I say, yeah, I'm a marriage abolitionist and I want to destroy the institution. But let's be real. I'm not I don't have the power to do that. But the job of the writer and the polemicist and the thinker is to is to suggest possibilities to people that challenge their ideas and make them think differently about their own lives. I don't have any kind of illusions that I'm gonna stop I'm going to destroy marriage in Australia. I would love to do it. But I do think that what will happen is by stating a position that some people consider to be really extreme, even if it is actually my position, the middle ground will be met by people who would otherwise not have ever seen the way to it. You know, So there will be women who read this book or listen to this interview and think, well, why am I getting married? I love my partner, but I don't need to get married. Or they'll think, I'm actually really unhappy in this relationship. And it's actually okay if I leave. And to all of those people listening, if you've been looking for a sign, let this be your sign.
0: You're <laughs> allowed be to be there happy. For
1: you. We're speaking with Clementine Ford, author,
0: polemicist, proud feminist writer. Her new book is called "I Don't: The Case Against Marriage." We should talk about same-sex and queer mm-hmm. marriage too, because it has been the institution has been embraced by some queer and same-sex people. Mm-hmm. Some have been like, "No, that's not for me," and I, I don't like the whole idea. What are your thoughts on that um, embracing of mm. the the horrible history.
1: Well, and I say this from the outset, I am a queer person. I date men and women and um, some of my, you know, there's been an equal collection of deep love in my life for both. Uh, And as a queer person, I find I still feel exactly the same way about marriage. I think that there's, we make a mistake in thinking, oh, we've expanded the group of people that a very conservative institution can entrap. Therefore, somehow the institution is no longer conservative. I actually think, and I know, I understand a lot of people from the LGBTQI community will disagree with me, but I still think it, and I'm still going to say it. I think that queer people getting married r- reflects actually a desire from queer people to be more conservative, and to well, and some queer people are conservative, oh, like absolutely. the whole population. Well, look, and to to broadly generalise, one of the reasons why I think that middle class gay white men in particular were really invested in the idea of same-sex marriage rights was because that's sort of like one of the the few things that kind of keeps them from being the same as their straight male peers. Um, Is it a I problem, mean, though, if it's like if it's two men,
0: the, the, you know, the patriarchs, or two women uh, not oppressing each other?
1: Well, I think that's a mistake to assume that the dynamics of, um, you know, oppression can't be replicated in same-sex relationships. And it's certainly reflected in the statistics. There's a very high incident of same-sex abuse between lesbian couples, for example. Oftentimes, queer people are are less, um, a bit more reticent to talk about these things, though, because they're carrying the weight of expectation on their shoulders. You know, that they they don't want to prove that somehow they didn't do it, they didn't change the institution or whatever. Um, And I think as well that when you, it's, it's the problem really of marriage originally, for all of its oppressive nature towards women, marriage was not about putting two people in a home and separating them from their community. I mean, and when I say separating them from their community, I don't mean that they can't see them. I mean just not living together. It was about kinship building. You expanded your family. You had more people around. And I think that fundamentally one of the problems now is that we have progressed in a lot of social ways, but we've regressed in terms of what the family looks like. And we need to have bigger groups yeah, that, that, I wish we had more time to talk about
0: the childbearing <laughs> and child-raising aspect of this Clementine Ford because I reckon it would be fruitful and exciting, but sadly we can't. Thank you so much for coming in and, and chatting a little bit about your book.
1: Thank you so much and I'm
0: sorry I was so late. <laughs> and injured. I'm sorry you got injured by the ABC stairwell. Clementine Ford, her new book is called I Don't, The Case Against Marriage. we got so many texts. Here's a little one. We're all different. Skin colour, eye colours, etc. It's ridiculous to impose cookie-cutter ideas, particularly religious ones, about marriage. Onto beings who are incredibly diverse and constantly changing. The 25 year old me is an entirely different creature than this one. Yeah. Whoever you are, I'm high fiving you right now.
1: Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.